Good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you this morning. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. Um, before we jump in, I just wanted to let you know, just speaking from a staff member, that we are all really excited about this transition. We think this is going to move the ball forward for CVC and Northeast Ohio and the U.S. and Canada and throughout the world. So uh, we're really excited. And hey, if you want to say, hey, I want to help support this transition, go up to Rick, uh, Iris, and Joe and say, hey, I want to go to a missions trip. What you got? We'd love to bombard them with people going on trips, really make their life difficult during this transition. <clears throat> um, hey, before we get started, let me open us up in prayer. Oh, God, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you uh, are a good, good father. Lord, and today we know that you have children in Pearl Island who have yet to know you're one of their children. Lord, you have children throughout the world that you are drawing to yourself. Lord, you have children that are in our life house, and our neighbors, Lord, that are in our workplaces that you are drawing to yourself, Lord. Thank you that we get to participate in that. And Lord, as our good father, we know we're beloved children. Would you draw us closer to you? Help us to be more and more formed to the image of your son, Jesus, being more and more free from sin in our lives. Lord, help us as we look at how to be free from sin in our lives. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a new uh, encouragement, a new perspective on how to do that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me tell you a story about Jason. Jason came to Christ about three years ago. And he's, uh, since then, he's really been growing in his relationship with the Lord. He desires to become more and more like Christ and live as a beloved child. And um, he's really been seeing some fruit. But ever since Jason was young, he's struggled with a specific sin, a destructive pattern in his life. This same one his dad struggled with. And he might go a time and he might... You know, have some success, but all of a sudden temptation comes. Jason falls to temptation, and the guilt and the shame come pouring back in. And in his mind, he begins to say, I'm worthless. God's done with me. He, he couldn't still love me. And what he does, he works real hard and tries to separate himself from that sin, and he gets a little success. And then temptation comes, and again, he falls into temptation and the cycle of sin and shame and embarrassment and distance from God and others comes in. That story may sound familiar because that's the human story. That's the story of every beloved child of God as you and as I struggle to be more and more free from sin. See, there's a pattern that even Christians can fall into that reinforces the destructive patterns in our lives. But there's a different pattern, a pattern that we'll see in our text today that breaks that cycle of sin, not through hard work or good boundaries, but through looking at what Christ has done and will do in our lives. So I'm really excited to share with you about how to be free more and more and more from sin in our lives. And let me just tell you what the big idea is. We become free from sin in our lives when we look back to Christ's cross and look ahead to Christ's return while being honest with our brokenness today. 
Two weeks ago, Pastor Chad kicked off our Living New study. Or should be two weeks ago, Pastor Rick kicked it off. Talk about how we could be assured of our salvation as a beloved child. And then last week, Pastor Chad talked about how we could go to our Father in prayer. I don't know about you, but I was really encouraged by that sermon last week. So today, we're talking about the topic of sanctification. Sanctification. Now, it's a kind of a theological word. Um, some of you might be like, oh, yeah, sanctification. You know, I've heard that before. Well, sanctification, it comes from the Latin word sanctus, which simply means holy. And holiness means to be set apart for a special purpose. And you'll see in uh, page 39 of our Living New book, the definition here of sanctification is the process of growth in godliness, growth in the life of righteousness, and pursuing holiness as a beloved child. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And whether you realize it or not, you really, really, really want to be sanctified. And God our Father really, really, really wants you to be sanctified. Why is that? Because sanctification results in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. See, when we become more and more free from sin, more and more sanctified, we become more and more loving and less sinful. We see less lust in our lives and more joy, less greed and more goodness, less pride and more humility, fewer outbursts of anger and more self-control. Well, we see clearly how to do this, how to make this real in our lives in the book of 1 Peter uh, in chapter 1. Look with me if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter, and the text will also be on the screen. Starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, the first step in freedom from sin is to always, daily, hourly, look back to Christ's cross. See, if you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a beloved child of God. And God our Father went to great, great lengths Scripture says to ransom you from the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers. Now, some of us had really, really good dads. I had a really, really good dad. And some of us had not really good dads, really bad dads. And then some of us had absent dads. 
And we know from statistics and sociology that whatever struggles, destructive behaviors, bad patterns that your specifically father had, you are much more likely to have in your life. Right? If your dad and your granddad and your great-granddad struggle with anger, you probably struggle with anger or alcoholism or greed or lust or all these different things for some reason these patterns are inherited from our forefathers. But the good news of the gospel is that our heavenly father has sent his son Jesus and has paid the penalty of your sin and you have been ransomed out of the destructive, the destructive patterns of your forefathers into the family of God. Even if your dad and your granddad and your great-granddad and your great-great-granddad struggle with the same thing through Christ, you don't have to because you have been ransomed and you have been bought, not with money, not with a lot of counseling, not with some self-help books, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to pay back your sins. All those things you do, all the sins, all the bad, all those, you don't have to pay it back. You are free from that. You have been delivered from that. Romans 8, 1 and 2 is two of my favorite verses. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. But it's like this courtroom scene. You've probably heard preachers use this before. There you are. You're a defendant. And here comes Satan with all of the long list of those terrible things you have done in your life. But the gospel says, though Satan has a long list to, of, of content, of evidence to prove that you're guilty, because of Christ's death on the cross, all that evidence is inadmissible in court. It is thrown out, can never be used. And what does Satan, what does Satan have? Nothing. <laughs> he has nothing to say against you through Jesus Christ. You see, I'll use an illustration that uh, Rick Duncan used two weeks ago. So in our lives, you know, our lives play out chronologically. You know, we, we live life and we, and we have a sin. You know, we, you know, we sin, we get in a pattern of sin. Well, one day, Jesus, you know, we, we, we give our hearts to Christ. Christ comes in and saves us. And in our minds, we think, okay, from here back, Jesus has saved me from my sin. But we keep living. You know what that means? We keep sinning. We keep sinning. And, then we, and what happens is, if, if it's been many years since coming to faith in Christ, we begin to think, ah, do I have to start paying this stuff back? Like, like I do really good things. I got to be a real moral person and really do, you know, uh, be a great, great dad and serve a lot in church. But the reality is that on the cross of Christ, 2,000 years ago, all of our lives, God saw as this tape measure. That all of it, past, present, and future, all of our sin has been forgiven. It has all been taken away. 
You see, so often we fall into that pattern where we look back not to the cross of Christ, but we look back to our lives, specifically those terrible things we do, those shameful sins in our lives. But what God our Father wants you to do is look. I've dealt with that. You don't look back to your sin. You look back to the cross of Christ. And you are reminded that you are free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the evil one, if you're a father of Jesus, he has one really effective tool in his toolbox. It's feelings of guilt. Did you know, I have said it before, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not guilty, but Satan wants you to believe it. See, he wants you to look at your sin and feel guilt. And what guilt is, it's fear of punishment. And what do we do as little kids when we break something, we eat a bunch of cookies we're not supposed to, we hide in the corner, just like our forefather Adam and Eve did. They were guilty, they're sinful, you hide, you try to Stay away from dad because you're afraid of punishment. But if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit does not make us feel guilty. He makes us feel convicted. What conviction is, it's not fear of punishment, but it's fear of estrangement. We don't want to be estranged from our father. We want to be in relationship with our father. And what guilt does, it tries to make you pay off your sin. What conviction does it makes you want to run into the arms of your father in repentance. That's what repentance is, running to the arms of your father. See, when we sin, we must look back to the cross of Christ. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, says all of the Christian life is one of repentance. So we become free from sin when we look back to Christ's cross, and next, when we look ahead to Christ's return. Look at me, verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Christ, before he ascended, he promised he was going to come again. And he was going to come again to judge the world, to restore all things, put everything that is wrong back to right. He was going to change our bodies, restore our relationships, and restore our world. He promised this. It is a guarantee from Jesus Christ himself. Revelation 21.4 says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things are passed away. See, this is where we must set our hope, that one day, I know it's hard for me, hard to to understand, because it's so far beyond our normal experience, but one day, Christ will come again. And you think, well, why hasn't he come now? Well, because he desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. He is patient with us. He's patient with your neighbor and your sibling and your child. But our hope is set on 
him. See, too often we put our hope on either ourself or our circumstances, right? I'll be free from sin when I'm, maybe when I'm older, or you know, maybe when I, you know, I get a little more discipline, or, or maybe when I'm, you know, I'll separate myself from that sin, and then I'll go to Christ to, to help me become a new person. But so often we, or we put our, our, our hope on our circumstances. I hear this all the time as a young adult pastor. You know, Josh, when I get married, then everything will be fine. My anxiety will go away. My sexual sin go away. Like, I, I fears for the future. It'll be, all be gone. I just want to, like, grab them and be like, what are you talking about? That's not the case. That's not true because the, that means the hope is on our circumstances. But Jesus himself and the Bible says, no, our hope should be on Christ and Christ alone. That one day, that, do you realize your sin and my sin, it's only temporary if we're a follower of Jesus? Like one day that addiction will be no more. Those that, that, that struggle with lust will be no more. That anxiety and fear, no more. And not only that, your spouse, your parent, your child, your sibling, their addiction, their struggles, their destructive patterns, if they know Christ, it will be no more. They will be renewed, restored to who God made them to be. See, when we look ahead to Christ's return, it gives us a greater strength and a greater confidence. It gives us a power to face the day and to move forward in our lives. See, uh, I, I got a great picture of this three weeks ago. My uh, wonderful wife, Deborah, she had uh, our second child. And so she was nine months pregnant, you know, and then nine months and a week pregnant, like she was... But when she went into labor, she got actually really excited. Now, it's not because like, oh, labor, you know, this is fun. No, she's excited because she knows that meeting that little baby in her tummy, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, meeting that little baby, it was all but inevitable. Within a day, she'd get to hold that little baby, see what she looked like, it was certain. So what that did is that gave her strength to go through a very difficult labor. There are difficult seasons in your life, personally, spiritually, in your family, in your workplace. But when we fix our eyes on one day, one day, Christ will come back. It gives us the strength to move through those seasons. It gives us the confidence to put our shoulder into the work of the gospel and, put in, in, and steal our wills. See, in the, in, in the book of Isaiah, foretelling Jesus' uh, coming, it says his, his will was set like flint toward Jerusalem. Why? Not because the cross was so good, but because he would be raised again and be with his father. That's what we have to look forward to. And that gives us greater strength for today. All right, Josh, I hear you. Look back to the cross. Look ahead to Christ's return. But I still sin today. <laughs> I still struggle. I understand what Christ did, but I still struggle. What do I do? Well, the third step, we have to be honest about our brokenness today, don't we? We have to be honest about our brokenness. The reality is we have broken bodies, we have broken hearts, 
We have broken relationships. We have a broken world. That's why when the Apostle Peter was writing this letter, we see in verse 13, it says, therefore, and he, he, uh, he qualifies what he's going to say. He says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. What does that mean? Preparing our minds for action, literally in the original language, it's gird up the loins of your mind. No, I had loins in my mind. What that, mean, what, what that is referring to is in that day, centurions would wear these long kind of cloak things, but they would tie up their cloak, and it's kind of like shorts, when they would go into battle. What they would do is they'd prepare themselves for battle, for a fight, for a fight. Hand and sword, tooth and nail, it is a battle on the battlefield. You know what? It's a battle in your mind. Scripture's telling us, look, you've got to get ready for a battle. This is not something you could... Holiness, sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness, it's not something that's easy. It's something that is a battle. And then, he's, and then Peter says, so we have to be sober-minded. This is literally the verb to be drunk, but an article of a negation. No being drunk. Basically, what we need to do, we need to sober up our minds about our own brokenness, our own fallenness, our own capabilities and capacities. See, I think too often, we think, oh, I'm okay. I'm not that broken. I can handle this temptation. I can handle that temptation. I can handle going there, doing... Look, depending on who you are, depending on your background, there are just some places you should not go. There is just some apps you should not download. There are some conversations you should not get into. And there are some people you probably should not even have a relationship with. Why? Because we're broken. Because we're broken. And we have to be honest about who we are. And the reality is we have to set up boundaries. We have to set up precautions in our lives. And the difficult thing I think about setting up boundaries is that often it's not necessarily a right or a wrong thing. I think it's pretty clear what is right or wrong in Scripture. But we have to set up not right and wrong, but wise and unwise boundaries. One thing that be, I could go one place and be fine, well, you should never go. And you could go one place and be fine for you that I should never go, depending on our variety of brokenness. So we have to be honest about our brokenness, and we have to set up those boundaries in our lives. You know, too often, I think, that in our Christian world and in our church, we get this idea that it's God and me. Just God and me. I've got to work through this just between me and God. I've got to get alone, be private, and work out this sin. On the contrary, throughout the Bible, it's not God and me. It's God and us. Holiness, sanctification does not happen individually. It happens in community. That's why life groups are so important. That's why having someone you can share what's going on in your life, the struggles in your life, is so important to grow in this way of Christ, to become more like Jesus. It has to happen in community. So as a review, 
We become free from sin when we look back to Christ's cross and look ahead to Christ's return while being honest about our brokenness today. In, in the theological terms, sanctification is what happens when we remember our justification, we are justified before God, and anticipate our glorification, that one day Christ is coming again and we will get glorified bodies. I've heard Rick Duncan say this many times. Freedom from the power of sin happens when we remember we are free from the penalty of sin and will be free from the presence of sin. So the book of 2 Corinthians talks about this process as being conformed to the image of the Son. And what that language means is this word image, it's literally icon, we kind of think of like an uh, icon, like a, you know, like a painting on the wall of like Mother Mary. In the original uh, time of the New Testament, icon was more often known and recognized as a kind of like a signet ring, a signet ring that would either have a, a picture and a carving of the emperor, or it would have an animal that symbolizes this emperor. And what he would do is he would melt wax onto a special document or onto a letter, and you would take that image and we would push it into that wax, the hot, the hot wax. It would mold around that image and it would harden. And what that did was proof that this was from the king. So 2 Corinthians says that that's the goal of sanctification in our lives. You see, we're like wax, And I fear too many of us are like hard wax, that the Father is pressing on us. He's pressing on us his image, the Son, Jesus Christ. And but we are hard wax. And he's pressing on us. He wants us to be in the image of his son, but all that's happening is we're just getting broken. We're getting scrapped. We're getting fractured. But how we become soft is we look back on the cross of Christ. We look ahead on the coming of Christ. And the gospel message begins to melt our hearts. The beauty, the depths of God's love, the heights of God's love, the expanse of God's love begin to shine on our hearts. And our hearts begin to soften and begin to melt. And it's only then that the image of Christ can be pressed upon us. And we become more and more like Jesus. That's the work of sanctification. Opening our hearts before the light and heat of the love of God. My question for you is this. Have you ever had a soft heart? Has your heart ever melted before God? Because the Bible says that's the test if you are a beloved child of God or if you are still in captivity to the futile ways of your forefathers. If you have never had your heart melt before the love of God, you have to do so today. All you have to do is say, God, I accept your forgiveness. I accept the free gift 
of grace in your son. I recognize that my sin has been paid and my home is secure. Change me to become like the image of your son, Jesus. And if you do that, you, at that moment, become ransomed from those futile ways. You become a beloved child of God. And then he begins to change you. Can I share with you a few ways that God has done this in my life? Well, I share with you one way that, he, that I feel God's really worked in my life. And I want to share with you a way that I'm hoping God's going to work in my life. Well, the first area uh, that I feel like God's really worked in my life is the area of my tongue. Um, so I went to a small Christian school from first grade to seventh grade. And in seventh grade, I got expelled from that school. I know, I look pretty tough. I know you can tell. <laughs> See, as a... Like, I was pretty much this height in seventh grade, but, like, take off about 20 pounds, 30 pounds. So I wanted, uh, you know, as an insecure seventh grader, I wanted people to like me. Um, so physical prowess was off the table. Um, so I would uh, use my tongue. I would uh, kind of, te- uh, sometimes I tease people and make fun of people. That kind of made me feel good. And um, so as a seventh grader, me and some of my buddies... Um, for whatever reason, no particular reason, there's just one girl named Katie that we would tease and make, uh, make fun of. And because of my sinful, wicked use of my tongue, because I was incessant in, 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 in teasing this seventh grade girl, I was expelled from the school. Now, I know now that the middle school years of a, a woman's life are formative. And I don't know, she left the school that year as well. I, I don't know where she is, but I do know that I made serious damage by the words that I said to this little girl. And now I have a little girl that I hope little seventh grade boys are kind to, that they say encouraging words. So when I think of my history, and I think of the damage I probably caused this little girl, what do I do? I look back to the cross of Christ. I say, Lord, you've forgiven me. You've saved me. You removed that guilt from my life, and you've caused me to become a beloved child. Then I look forward to the coming of Christ, where one day... My words will all be pleasant. Will all, what scripture says, be seasoned with salt. And I hope one day to see this little girl up in heaven and hang out and talk and encourage her, say nice things about her. But today, I still have to be real and honest about my brokenness. You see, God has really moved me and he's changed me throughout my life. And I feel like now I am I think, you'd probably ask my wife, I think I'm an encouraging person. I try to be. I think God's done that in my life. But one way I'm honest about my brokenness is I shy away from any joke or any teasing uh, of a person. I shy away from anything that says negative things about another person. See, I would rather be holy than funny. 
And that's, I think, how God has worked in my life. Well, let me share with you a way that I want God to work in my life, an area that I need restoration. It's in the area of greed. Now, this is not financial greed. Now, Deborah and I are very faithful in our giving to the church, to missions, and to the poor. But this is a greed that I think my generation struggles with more acutely. It's a greed of my time. See, I love to control my time. I love to be on my timetable. I love everyone else to change their time schedule to be on my time schedule. And um, it's caused me to be very productive and very prideful at times. And when I got married, um, my wife is one of those special people that were, you know, would say, hey, do whatever you need. I mean, like I, when I got married, I had more freedom than I had when I was single. And I would pursue hobbies. This is one hobby I really enjoy. I would just pursue it more than I should. Well, then we had Judah. <laughs> okay. And now we have a second uh, little baby, Rebecca. And um, I am more and more uh, reminded of the sinfulness in my heart that as a f- to be a good father, I have to give of my time. And you know when Chad says, hey, you need to be a life house. I'm all in. All right, I'll pray for my neighbors. I'll care for them. I'll buy them little moms or whatever. I'll, I'll share the gospel with them. Oh, wait a minute. You want me to spend time with them? You know, I shy away from that. That's wrong. That's sinful. That is selfish and that's prideful. And I want God to change me in this area. So, what do I do? I look back to the cross. Lord, you have forgiven me of my sinfulness, you've forgiven me of my greed. I look forward to one day when Christ comes again, time won't be an issue. I can spend as much time with my family and much time with my children, much time with my neighbors, time with anybody as I want without sacrificing my job and getting fired. And I can spend as much time working hard in my job and much time creating and growing and without sacrificing my relationship with my family. Won't that be a good day? Won't that be a wonderful day? But until then, I have to be honest about my brokenness. So one way I do that, it might sound ridiculous to you, it's a, it's a way God's working in my life, is that every seventh year, there's a hobby I love to do, I just don't do it that year, like fast from it or something, I don't know. But what that does, it, allow, it, sur- it says, Lord, I, sur- I have this open-handed, and I want you to work in my life in this area of greed of my time. Let me, let me close with this and ask you a question. Ask yourself this question. I most want to be free from the sin of blank. I most want to be free from the sin of blank. What is that sin for you? How can you remind yourself of your freedom from the penalty of sin? How can you look forward to freedom from the presence of sin? And more importantly, I think, can we look back and look forward, and that's vital, but In order to know that you're actually doing that, you have to make tangible steps today to become more holy. So here's one. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to pray and ask the Lord, what tangible steps can I do today to be honest 
about myself and to flee from temptation. So I'll give you some time. Say, Lord, what do you want to say to me right now? How can I put up boundaries in my life to be more and more free from the sin that so easily grabs me? God, Lord, you are so good. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that our sanctification doesn't depend on our hard work or or just white-knuckling it, but it depends on your grace. Thank you, Lord. Lord, would you make us a holy people set apart for good works in Northeast Ohio? Lord, make us more into the image of your son. Lord, melt our hearts so that you can press your son into us. Lord, may we be holy as you are holy. Well, when we sin, may we run to the arms of the Father. Lord, may we, with, with excitement and joy, anticipate the day where we get to behold you face to face. Until then, Lord, We're broken. We recognize that. Help heal us. Help mend us through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.